Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, I'm good. The spring semester has concluded. I've turned in, turned in final course grades, um, dealt with various and sundry complaints. Um, <laughs> I've had a couple days off. Um, so, uh, no, I'm good. Yes. And uh, summer it, school it, starts in a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, just a few days. Um, uh, but another reason why uh, I'm pretty excited this morning um, is, uh, listeners, uh, we have another guest uh, joining our August podcast. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Christine Artello uh, from the uh, Criminal Justice Program in the Wilder School of Government and Public Affairs. Um, and uh, she's not going to be talking to us, by and large, about crime or criminal justice. Instead, okay, although spoiler alert, there is a little bit. There is of a that. little bit of crime at the end of this, which is fascinating. But we'll get to that, to that at the end. But uh, uh, Christ, uh, uh, Christine, uh, Dr. Artello is going to uh, share with us um, uh, her vast knowledge of the National Gallery of Art. Okay, um, and this is part of our series to take a look at, um, if you will, uh, uh, various. Uh, U.S. resources, um, the Smithsonian, the National Parks, um, and today it's the National Gallery of Art. Uh, Dr. Artello, um, uh, do you prefer uh, 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 Dr. Artello, Christine, Christy, um, uh, which do you prefer? The awesome K. No, not the awesome K. <laughs> the awesome K. I mean, because we 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 we'll do call go by what you like. Yeah, we we do go by nicknames. Uh, um, uh, Christy is fine. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so, so, Christy, um, uh, and we've asked uh, 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 other visitors, um, other guests, if you will. Where did you? your fascination, your interest in the National Gallery of Art, um, where did this start or when did this start? I have always enjoyed art and uh, I was uh, very fortunate that uh, I have a friend who lived in DC. So I would go up and one of the things that we would do is we would go to the National Gallery of Art or we would go to the Portrait Gallery Anytime I visit it, we would choose one of those places and we would just go. And it, it was a great way to spend time and we'd see what was happening, what were new exhibits that we were interested in, and we would go and then have a great lunch and enjoy our time. So yes, but I love it. And so exhibits meaning there are, there are permanent collections and then there are changeably outably I know there's a better word than that. Collections, <laughs> uh, like traveling exhibity type collections that don't belong to the, yes, to the National might, Art Gallery? Yes, they might switch things in and out because they don't display everything that they have. 
So uh, they might have like six or seven hoppers and then they'll get a, another person who has more hoppers or more of that art from uh, the Great Depression through uh, the mid-century. So they'll do a great hopper exhibit that will come in or they might, um, I saw a incredible photography exhibit on uh, urban cities and it focused primarily on the development of New York City from I want to say the 40s through uh, the 70s. And it was fascinating to see it um, develop. So yeah, but they have traveling exhibits, but then they have like the decorative arts that remains. And so that's always there. They have sculpture. They have a huge indoor sculpture and an outdoor sculpture garden that will have pieces that go in and out, but there are stable pieces that are always there. Now, so. when we speak of the National Gallery of Art, it's more than just one museum, correct? There are two buildings to it. So you okay. have uh, the West and East building. Uh, the West building was the original one that was built and that's the one that's open. And it's located between 3rd and 9th streets along Constitution Avenue. Uh, and uh, the East building, it's not open yet. Now understand we are recording in May. <laughs> Late May. So uh, the West Building has just opened back up again. So people are able to go there, but they are have to go for a time to visit. So they have to go online and get a ticket and they're able to go there um, during that time to ticket because they're still having uh, spacing people out for social distancing. But the tickets are free. The tickets are free. Okay, because it's going to cost you $80 billion to park in Washington. It's going to cost you $80 billion <laughs> to get to Washington. But once you get there, there's a bunch of cool free stuff. We were, we were told similarly about the zoo, mm -hmm. that it's doing time tickets, but they're free. But the timing is more about crowd control, right? It's more about making sure that 8,000 people are not in the museum at one time. Exactly. Um, I know that there are sometimes where I go in and I'm going to the French Impressionists or I'm going to see the Dutch Masters and it's packed. It is packed and packed and packed with people where we're shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, when I went to see the very tiny little tiny postage stamp size painting that is the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, I couldn't see it because I'm five foot two. Mm -hmm. And we were about six people deep. And I was like, is there a painting over there? And finally, <laughs> as people shuffled to the side, I kind of shuffled to the front and I got to see it. But we were packed in that gallery. And mm -hmm. I, if I recall correctly, the Mona Lisa is in a gallery by herself because of that, because lots of people go to see it. So, mm -hmm. but I'm assuming that in the age of pandemics, there will be less Yes. That probably at most museums, probably going forward, that this may be the new norm is to get a time ticket so that the, the museum will know roughly how many people are in the museum at any one time. Um, I expect this will continue at least until next spring. I don't okay. see this going away before next spring. But the, you said there's the art, there's the outside sculpture gallery. The, the sculpture garden. Yeah. And you don't have to have a ticket for that, right? Because it's outside. You have a ticket. It's outside. Um, the Pavilion Cafe uh, in the sculpture garden is open. So you can get food. Um, you can picnic in there. Um, in past summers, they do jazz. 
which is one of my favorite things to do is I go there and I'm listening to jazz underneath the great big spider or um, near the Chagall or, you know, so you really, you get to lay, you know, lay your little blanket out and you get to be, listen to great jazz in there. Now it's not listed right now, but it may. So people need to watch the calendar to see if they do end up having some jazz out there. And you make a good point there. Uh, you need to bring something to sit on. Yes. There's not, it's not like a stadium where there are seat, where there's seating no. or anything okay. like that, yeah. because that would ruin the appearance, I assume, of a sculpture garden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a sculpture and here's a bunch of benches. Like you can't really, yeah, unless the benches were sculptures, that would not be, and then yeah. you would be able to sit on them. So so you need to bring a blanket or some other thing to sit on. I'm assuming that there are a few benches there for ADA compliance and for old folk to sit down or people like me. Well, like there, there were, up. but they took them out because of COVID. Oh. I don't know yeah. if they've been put back in yet. And they okay. did the same thing in the museum is they've taken out the benches in the museum. So they are encouraging individuals who need assistance to take um, uh, first come first serve wheelchairs are available. Um, I don't recall them having uh, motorized uh, scooters available in the museum. Now I will tell you the sculpture garden, there is uneven ground and it is not paved. Okay. So you will want to be aware of that. So if you have some uh, balance issues, that's going to be a little more difficult. Um, but they're usually it's wide paths, and so hopefully um, with some walking sticks, you'd be okay to transverse it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. So if you have those issues, you would probably need to call ahead or email ahead and see what arrangements. Can They're be first served. So if you need a wheelchair, you're going to go with one of the earlier ticketed times. And that's okay. what I would do because I don't think you can reserve them. I couldn't find where you could reserve them. Now, maybe that changes now that we are more open there, but we'll see. Ah. Mm-hmm. And the West Building is open from 11 to 4. And the Sculpture Bar- Garden is also open 11 to 4. Um, and the West Building did have internet. You had free Wi-Fi in the West Building when I was there last. I don't know if it's still there because the vast majority of all the places in the museum where you would eat and sit and work are now gone. <laughs> but oh, they may be coming back. Well, as, there's one... as mask as mask requirements are lowering, as other requirements are lowering, mm-hmm. that we're sort of in a cusp period right now of. What you should really do is live on the website and see what changes, because I'm assuming they announce daily changes or weekly changes or what have you yeah. as things as things open up or. Yeah, like the Garden Cafe is supposed to be reopened and they're going to be re-envisioning how the Garden Cafe is doing business, I guess. Don't know what that means. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah what that will look like um yeah. so that's kind of where things are at at the moment but yes uh, at this point um outside in the sculpture garden i can't remember whether i've ever been able to get wi-fi get good cell service so, <laughs> <laughs> if you're able to use your cell phone as a hot spot you're in shape <laughs> 
So is there a mask requirement? Um, well, there used to be. Again, um, this may have changed with the new CDC guidance on um, outdoor mask wearing. No, I meant indoor. Indoor, yes. Yes, there's still a mask required indoors. Okay. You're going to have lots of mingling of different households. So you're going to want to wear a mask in there. And um, the National Gallery of Art brings a lot of international travelers. If we're allowing people in for travel, which I would expect that we are um, soon, if not already, yeah, you're going to want to wear a mask inside. Okay. Yeah, I mean, increasingly, you know, having a mask on your person, no matter where you go, <laughs> is going to become the new norm, right? Mm -hmm. Do I have my keys? Do I have my wallet? Okay, do I have my cell phone? Where's my mask? Um, right. Tucked um, yeah. in a pocket so that you can whip it out and put it on if you need. Because yeah. they're leaving that up, I think, to businesses and institutions mm -hmm. about what they will and won't allow. And I'm assuming that some of the institutions to lose mask requirements, the latest will be things like museums, where you stand shoulder to shoulder with strangers while you're staring at a in my case, John Bierman at the North Carolina Museum of Fine Art. I love that painting. Um, I love it and so do several other people. And so you find yourself standing. But I noticed I was there not uh, too long ago and there were no benches mm -hmm. in, in that part of the museum because they were, they were encouraging people to keep moving. Yes. Right there, um, you know, because a lot of people don't need benches. They sit down to contemplate the art. Yes. That's nice, but right now museums are kind of like, yes, take a nice standing long look at it and then move on because we've got other people who need to get in here and well, see and the you'll, art. you'll see people um, sketching. Yeah, For the art. You'll see individuals who are are looking at it and trying to reproduce it, which I I find very interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find okay, it interesting so, if they were making forgeries, because that would be awesome. Um, yeah, because oh. I, yeah, I want to follow up with that. So, uh, uh, Chrissy, you said you find that interesting. Um, why do you find that interesting? Because if you, I look at art as his history, as well as how we change, how we end up perceiving reality, how we end up perceiving history. Okay. Uh, for example, if you are looking at the, the art of the Middle Ages and they're depicting Mary, well, Mary's usually pre uh, depicted as a Caucasian woman. Yes. Um, Wearing Italian Renaissance dresses, which... Exactly. Uh, it's and looking very chaste. It's possible, yes. but it's unlikely that she was wearing Italian Renaissance clothing in the Middle Ages <laughs> in the year zero. I'm just yeah. saying, and in Jerusalem, it's unlikely. And in Galilee, where she right. would be living, I mean, right? She would have looked like a freak, and people would have <laughs> people would have probably burned her at the stake as a witch. Like, exactly. You I also get this change in dimension if you're looking at how art develops, and in the Renaissance, where you get more depth and you get oh, perspective yeah. and perspective, all of that. So that's wonderful. Color development, yeah, Color yeah. over time, which I always find fascinating. Um, 
my favorite era is usually um, the Impressionists. I love the Impressionists and uh, the French school. Um, I love architecture. So um, I love the decorative arts, all of those um, sculpture. Well, and it is, it's funny that you mentioned architecture because I think people miss that in paintings a lot, that people are often in front of buildings, right? And they're in front of buildings that are generally speaking known to the painter. Yes. Right, because the yeah. building's not the important part, the person in the painting is mm -hmm. the important part. So you just paint what's behind them. Well, that kind of gives you an idea of, of what the popular artwork was like. And then just to wax poetic for a moment, I don't know if there are any Holbeins in the National Art Galleries, but when you look at the lace in a Holbein painting, you mm -hmm. can see how it's made. Mm -hmm. Like it's detailed enough yeah. Yeah. That, a, that a tatter can look at that and say, oh, I could reproduce that pattern mm -hmm. because I can see how it's made. That to me is amazing. That's a, that's a really cool thing about art that is sort of those little pieces that that I agree with you bring history to life. But see, I struggle with art because I struggle with the, the concept of um, I'm going to take a big white piece of canvas and then I'm going to paint a yellow square on it and I'm going to call it art. And I'm like, yes, but I could do that. Is that really art if I can do that? <laughs> so, that's one of the things I like about art is that it's so subjective in that sense of what people like and what they don't like. The, 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 yeah, I mean, I, of... I, 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 I see your point there, uh, Nia, because, you know, one of my favorite paintings, um, uh, and Christy uh, earlier mentioned uh, uh, Hopper, right? Um, in one of my favorite paintings is uh, Nighthawks by Hopper, right? Ah, which is the uh, diner, right? That's the one with the diner. Yes. Okay. And and you and you have the uh, the uh, the counter person. You have the couple, and then you have this lone figure uh, sitting by himself. Now the original most for most years is in the Chicago Institute. Okay, and I've been there a number of times. I've drugged people with me. Uh, <laughs> usually uh, when we go to the Midwest Political Science uh, annual meetings. Um, and they will look at it and they're like, Foggy, that's depressing, right? <laughs> okay, that's just utterly depressing, okay? And my Me first thought is, is that guy a serial killer? Is he gonna kill that couple? Is he gonna kill the guy <laughs> behind the counter? Like I make up a whole different story, but right? yeah. I'm it, it, I, I, I love Hopper for that with his realism of it. And when you are contrasting that with what came right before, which were the impressionists, where the yes. impressionists are trying to escape realism because of everything horrible going around them at the time. World War I was happening, all of that. And if you think about that, it's- To and me, impressionist, like, no, no, this is what world really looks like. You know, an impressionist, impressionist you know, we're using these bright, vibrant colors, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and look how beautiful <laughs> this is. And Hopper is just like, Okay, this is, you know, modern world, okay, late at night, lonely people, dark colors. <laughs> yeah, how many shades of brown can I make for this painting? But he's also showing the disconnectedness of... Of, uh, of modern world, yes. Yes, urban world. Yes. And all of that happening. I, I, I find that, yes, fascinating. See, and I love that you two love it, and, I, and I'm like, 
I'm pretty sure that guy's a serial killer and I'm pretty sure everybody in that cafe is going to die. Right. Like it, and that's the beauty of art because I stood in front of a humongous Pollock one time with a person who loves Pollock. And she was like, see the movement and the power and the, and I'm like, I see splotches on a canvas. I'm pretty sure that this is what's left over when you make a painting. And she totally thought I was a heathen and I am a heathen, right? Cause I'm a Pollock heathen in the sense that I don't really, Oh yeah, I don't really I mean, get it. But other people who love Pollock love Pollock, and they. I mean, yeah. A couple of months ago, I went ahead and compared uh, what happens uh, in the bathroom sink when my daughter brushes her teeth to a Pollock painting. <laughs> okay, and and I just got absolutely roasted on social media, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. all these Pollock lovers were just like, how dare you make such a comparison? And I was just like, <laughs> okay. Uh, the only thing I have, so I was in Paris in 2018 and I went to Le Grand Jure. I didn't go to the Louvre because it was too crowded. Yeah. Le Grand Jure is not as crowded, but it also had Monet's work and it was designed for Monet's paintings around uh, the room. So it's an infinity symbol. And anyways, was beautiful but in part of that exhibit that they did was they showed the development and the influence of the impressionist through time downstairs and at the end was a pollock and i'm like i now get it i now get where he was coming from which i was a much deeper appreciation that i didn't have before and and how he developed and how he was influenced with that which is another thing that's fascinating with art art also influences policy Thomas Moran's paintings of the West, it, which if you've never seen his full room paintings, you really should because it is an experience. But those influence the passages of the National Park legislation. Oh, we should save this because it's beautiful and majestic and- it, is, it needs to be seen by every American. I, I put to you that it, for listeners who don't regularly go to art museums, you're going to find something that you fall in love with. You're mm -hmm. going to walk yeah. through five or six rooms of stuff you don't care about, which is fine, right? Because because mm -hmm. that, that moment is different for every person. Mm -hmm. You're going to turn a corner, you're going to see something, painting, sculpture, something, and you're going to go, <gasps> and mm -hmm. it's going it's to speak to you in a way that nothing else has and you're going to say that is amazing that thing is amazing that i'm looking at and i mean to to your point nia the first time i saw bosch's uh, the garden of earthly delights okay oh um, yeah okay uh, at that point all of my catholic religious education made sense mm -hmm. yes Right, like, okay. oh, this is what the nuns were talking about for 12 yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotcha. Okay, okay, but I mean, and, and, and until I, you know, I wandered into that room, okay, I had never heard of Hieronymus Bosch, right? Okay, but when I saw the painting, I was just like, okay, now that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, 12 plus years of Catholic education, all of a sudden, wow right that um, light bulb moment and sometimes yeah. art does that is it clean? yeah right okay. light bulb moment on the other hand i can stare at an andy warhol until i'm blue in the face and it doesn't make any kind of sense to me whatsoever i was just like 
a whole bunch of Campbell's soup cans, okay? Yeah. Okay, you're, you know, I got post-traumatic stress, okay, from all of those you know, lunches where, you know, my mom went ahead and opened up Campbell's soup cans and I was just like, <laughs> really, Campbell's soup again? Really? Okay. <laughs> and you made this in, and this is quote unquote art? Seriously? Right. And really? that's the thing, quote unquote, like, which brings me to what I was hoping you would touch on next, which is curation, mm-hmm. right? This idea of retaining art and protecting it and curating it um, into collections so that future generations can can see it. And th- th- what made me think of it was, so when I was in the Louvre and we had passed by finally the Mona Lisa, which is what re- I think the reason most people go to the Louvre. Yes. Um, we, were, we were actually going back up to look at a different, um, we were on our way to a different gallery uh, to see the, there's a painting of Napoleon crowning himself emperor, which is pretty awesome. You're like, I'll take that. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, I guess if you're Napoleon, you will take that, um, which is kind oh, by of- By the way, you, you, just as an copy. aside, wait a minute, just as an aside, as long-term listeners well know, okay, Neil would like to have oh. that moment in her life. Oh, okay. I make myself president. I make myself the <laughs> director of the space force. I make myself, oh yeah, I am Napoleon. He goes with the height. I would, I would grab that thing and put it on my head and be like, that's it. I'm it. It's me. Okay. So, so Nia, uh, please forgive the interruption. So you're wandering in. Uh, I'm wandering past that. That actually, there's a, there's a copy of that painting at the artist did two copies. He did one that's in the Louvre and he did one that's out at, um, uh, Oh, sorry, the palace, uh, Versailles. Versailles. Okay. At Versailles. And the, the difference is the colors of the ladies in waiting's dresses. Mm-hmm. Because he was sleeping with one of the ladies in waiting and she didn't like the original color, which was blue, and she wanted to see herself in pink. So he repainted it. And the one that's out in the, where she saw it all the time in Versailles is in pink. He totally did it to bag a chick right like and and that i love that but i also love that they kept both of those paintings like france knew that it was important to curate and keep both copies of that painting Mm -hmm. because they also have slightly different figures in them Mm -hmm. like in one of the figures napoleon's mother is in it and one she is not she was dead at the time she was not at the coronation but she gets painted in because napoleon's like you know what i'd really like my mom to be there and when you're a crazy emperor napoleon your mom gets to come back from the dead and be at your coronation because that's how that works that's how that sort of patronage thing works with paint Mm -hmm. me a thing of and make it this and make this color and do this Mm -hmm. and paintings were done that way because people Mm-hmm. Well, in history, people didn't just make art, they made art for money, like they were paid mm-hmm. yeah. to make yeah. art. And mm-hmm. so we curate these collections. So is this, co- is this collection wide ranging in the sense of it's got a little bit of everything or is it? So the gallery uh, covers from about the 12th to the 20th century. And I assume it's going to be 21st century as well. 
Um, and also you have, it's very extensive for European and American paintings, sculpture, decorative arts, graphic works. Um, and you'll also, um, they, there's a wonderful, wonderful uh, program for the Renaissance painters, um, the Dutch masters uh, from the late 1600s through uh, the 1700s, which is fabulous. They have a Vermeer that's just beautiful, the girl with the red hat. I mean, it's gorgeous to go there and see it. Um, so yes, uh, they also have some Rococo as well. So it's wonderful. But then their American collection from the 17th through the 20th century is also top notch. Okay, so it's got a big variety. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing as a side note, by the way, when I was in the Louvre, I just want to say this because I'm bitter and I want France to hear me say it. Um, if France, if you're listening. So there was a Roman mosaic. It was on the floor. It had been re, it had been picked up from wherever France stole it from. Because frankly, a huge amount of the art in Western museums that is Egyptian and Greek and Roman was just taken, right? Mm -hmm. And, and either taken or sold and put into museums that's why a lot of that's why the British Museum is there's almost nothing in it that's actually British um it's all stuff that came from other places but anyway I was there and and I saw a mosaic and I went <gasps> right and this is back when I had long hair so I laid down on the floor so I could draw a fish in a corner of the mosaic and my hair fell onto the mosaic and you would have thought that I had taken a pickaxe and started chopping it up. The guard had a cow, started yelling at me in French about pulling my hair, getting my hair off, the, getting my hair off the floor. And I was like, millions of Romans walked across this floor, dragged their carts, dragged their animals, and you're worried about the oil from my hair. Except, no, really, they are, right? That's why they you are. They are. They are. Yes. That's why you don't touch stuff in a museum. That's why you don't touch stuff, sculpture and mosaics and all that stuff, because they really do get destroyed. They, you, they lose their details. So you might have a ceramic that is three-dimensional, but if everyone's touching it, that three dimensions is going to go down to two really quick, and you're going to lose that. If you're in Egypt, um, I went to Egypt in 2019, um, and you're going to the pyramids, well, the paint's underneath there, but it's underneath all the sand and that. But if everyone is touching and doing that, you're going to destroy those, those wonderful uh, epices that have stood, you know, for, you know, a few thousand eons, years. Well, and then there won't be anything left for future generations. Well, we, won't, we won't know where we came from. Mm -hmm. So I want to I ask you what might end up being a controversial question. <laughs> which is let us get to a little bit of the crime involved <laughs> in the funding of the national art now let me if i'm uh, correct well, 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 well you can actually ask a rather innocent question here right Nia? you can basically go <laughs> well, ahead and say i think that it was really generous of mr mellon don't even it doesn't even have to be loaded Okay. All you have to go ahead and say is, so Christy, how did we end up with the National Gallery of Art? <laughs> oh, look at, look at, 
Augie lays better traps than I do. Clearly, when we go hunting, I need to take Augie. Because I'm like, here, dear, 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 dear. And and Augie's like, shh, I'm laying a trap. Yes. Uh, well, couple parts to it. First, we need to understand that the National Gallery of Art is actually a private-public partnership. So the public partnership is the government paid uh, pays for the maintenance of the building and staff salaries. Okay. The private part comes from the art and the exhibits that come around. So people might donate the, the art or they might loan it to a museum. And the reason the person might loan it to a museum is if I loan my beautiful um, uh, uh, luncheon uh, 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 at the boat, uh, at the boating, is because it will just go up in value if it's at the National Gallery of Art for, you know, and then I could sell it for more. So wait, can I ask a question? If I am wealthy enough to loan a piece of art, which will, by the way, never happen. Um, but if I were, does the museum insure it while it's in their collection? Or do I carry insurance or do both people carry insurance on it? I would have we know? both people carry yeah but both okay. typically do and if you are the rich person who is loaning the piece of art as christy pointed out if you loan it to you know a really reputable gallery mm -hmm. okay uh its value will go up mm -hmm. but the other thing is for tax purposes okay you get to go ahead and write off okay mm -hmm for the number of years you have loaned it, you get the write off, okay, the value of it, okay, as a percentage on your taxes. Oh, cause you're oh. not, it's not hanging over your, your you know. Your fireplace. Instead, yeah. somebody else is accruing, if you will, benefit. So according to our oh. tax code, okay, um, and, and there is a formula. The IRS has set up a formula. <laughs> yes, of course, the IRS of course has set they up have. a formula. There's a formula right? for that. There's an app for that. Um, okay. But, and that's why, you know, rich people are like, okay, fine. You know, for, you know, two years or, you know, this spring, okay, I will let the National Gallery of Art show my, you know. Uh, Fabergé eggs. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm if I ever steal art, that's the art that will be. If if Fabergé eggs ever go missing, we'll need to look come, underneath your. You mat. should come to me first, <laughs> because it might have been me, and if not me, then I'm going to do my best to try to get the person who has them to sell them to me, because <laughs> oh, okay. I love Fabergé eggs. Yeah, local police. Okay. Take note. Um, yeah, take note. Um, uh, we will put on the resource guide Nia's uh, apartment address. No. <laughs> so it's a public-private partnership, okay? Mm -hmm. So the um, government pays for the upkeep, basically, but not the art. They're not buying the art? That's right. They're not buying okay. the art. <laughs> okay. So, yes. And um, they also, so then they also take um, private donations for special exhibits. And to bring special exhibits in. Like, oh, so money as well as art. Like they'll take, we'd like mm -hmm. you to bring in this traveling exhibit and it's going to cost $500,000. Here's a check because I'm a rich guy and I want to, yes, and I, I want to sponsor it. 
that there are levels of membership that you can become a member of the National Gallery of Art. And uh, that membership comes with your ability to download images. So it could be your new background. So I could have the, my background be, you know, a Renoir or a Degas. Oh, because they own the image. They own the image. They image the copyright, or they own the copyright to the image. Oh, mm -hmm. so you're paying You to also get, get 10% off in the gift shop, which I'll tell you, I love gift shops. Hey. There is not a museum gift shop that I do not love. Uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah, Christy, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir of Mia right now, yeah. okay? You know, uh, on previous podcast episodes, Mia's waxed on about how much she appreciates gift shops. Hey, uh, the gift shop allows you to buy a postcard. Okay, I can never take as good a picture of something as the guy who took the picture for the postcard because he's a professional. He has the best lighting. There's not a schmuck standing in front of him or walking between him and the painting at the That's moment that you true. get a picture, right? There's none of that. So you get really good crisp images on their postcards mm -hmm. which you can then mail to yourself and now you have a lovely memory. Yeah, I've never passed a pair of earrings that I couldn't stop and look at because ooh, pretty. So, yeah, no, but... Okay, so, uh, 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 Christy, how long have we had this National Gallery of Art? So, uh, I believe construction started in 1937. I think it was completed 1940, 1941? One, yeah, okay. 41. Yeah. Yes. And um, it came about because Andrew Mellon thought it was a good idea for us to also have a national gallery of art like the British Museum um, overseas. So many of the overseas are going to be run by the government. We're one of the few that has these private public partnerships. Like most of the fine art museums across the country are private and public partnerships to huh. make them be viable. And which is why we have some really wonderful uh, local museums around. So, is yeah. that because the number of visitors is just not high enough to run it as a as a purely private, right? Um, or I, as a purely public? Yes, it, pro um, it probably wouldn't sustain itself, or you'd have to charge people. Well, well and maybe, right yeah, now the British Museum is having a real problem because they don't have enough visitors. They depend on the visitors and having that volume. They buy in the gift shop, they're buying in the cafes, they're having all of that foot track and they don't have any of it right now. Okay. So they're really hurting. Um, our museum seem to be weathering it a, a little bit better. And this goes back to the, the age old question of to what extent should government be involved um, in the development of art, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in here in the United States, um, we have a, uh, I mean, at least historically, we have a decidedly uh, more, if you will, private or commercial yeah. emphasis than you see in other Western democracies, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, I mean, uh, I'll just go ahead and give you an example because I have vi visited the, the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. I mean, the, the Russians view the Hermitage as a national treasure. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that 
the private sector would be responsible for running it or owning it, okay, would be heresy, right? You know, it's kind of sort of like the Louvre in France, right? Right, it's or, a French institution. Yeah, right, but here in the United States, okay, our relationship with art, okay, is, is somewhat different than what you see in other democracies, okay? Yeah. It's a little um, bit fraught, isn't it? Because <laughs> in the 30s, we did keep try to keep artists alive through the WPA and let's pay people to paint because that's important, or sculpt or whatever, because it's important to have that. But then- And you had beautiful public buildings going up. But then they have years where they get neglected as well, where they're mm -hmm. sort of like, yes, the arts take care of themselves. And like, but they don't. And so we should. <laughs> but, there are but, some cities that have a special art fund, like Richmond has a public art fund. Uh, right. Purpose. Um, and, 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 and those are controversial, right? They're very controversial. Because when you are in a recession or a depression, right? Okay, many people in the in those cities will go ahead and argue, why are we funding the arts when we have people who are you know poor don't have housing uh don't have food to eat clothes on their back etc right and again that's where you know the public policy element comes into play right you know well and thinking beyond the moment thinking beyond what's happening now to what's going to be happening in 40 years and wanting to preserve mm -hmm. the, that the art of your time so that people can in, in, in Andrew Mellon who had the wherewithal to go ahead and say okay a prominent country of the world should have a national gallery of art yes but it wasn't that simple was it Christy no <laughs> no it was not that simple or that um uh altruistic shall we say now andrew mellon um interesting, wait, wait, guy, interesting wait, history. Mm. so andrew mellon of carnegie mellon yes the, yes. the university carnegie yes. so he is the other yes. right because there's mm -hmm. there's carnegie and then there's mellon okay so yeah. Yeah, so andrew let me mellon, let bank. me mellon bank he also uh i believe there was steel alcoa also was, is part of his uh uh Dynasty. Yeah, listeners, um, Andrew Mellon is what we refer to in the history of the United States as a robber baron. Okay. Okay. Um, Andrew Mellon, okay, was part of a family, as Chrissy just pointed out, who made huge amounts of money in banking, steel, etc. Um, his quote-unquote empire was rooted in, for the most part, in Western Pennsylvania. So as a Pennsylvania native like myself, okay, we learn of, okay, we learn of Andrew Mellon early and often in our schooling, okay? Um, if you spend any time, um, as, as Nia just uh, pointed out, if you spend any time in Western Pennsylvania, it's pretty hard not to even today, come into contact with institutions that were not created by 
bequeathed by, okay, <laughs> the huge fortune that the Mellon family, okay, if you will. Over generations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though Jefferson was not a robber baron, lots of things in Virginia have similar ties in the sense that they were funded by Jefferson or they were started by Jefferson, right? That in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. That yeah. that idea of, of like Jefferson founded a university because he's like, Virginia needs a university. So he went and founded one, right? That kind of thing. That by itself is not a bad thing. But the robber baron part that you get into is sort of the questionable tactics that are used to make money. Oh. Yeah, he cornered an entire industry from top to bottom. I mean, he just, that's, that's what we call them. I mean, it's why we had the um, antitrust develop. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, longstanding listeners, when me and I, me and I spoke of the Sherman Antitrust Act, okay, this was a federal law passed in the late 1800s that was designed to target individuals like Andrew Mellon, okay, John Rockefeller at all, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, now, Andrew Mellon is, is fascinating in regards to the creation of the National Gallery of Art, okay, because this was something that he wanted, mm -hmm. but how it came about, okay. Has a little uh, bit of shade on it. <laughs> yeah, a little, okay. The understatement of the podcast. Be diplomatic here. <laughs> just a, a little, little bit, bit of shade. Just a little bit of shade. Okay, okay Christy, so what was his shade? <laughs> so um, first, just um, Andrew Mellon ended up serving in uh, three different GOP presidents' cabinets in some way. And in fact, he was the Secretary of Treasury during the 1920s. And so there are many who say that his policies coming out of the treasury really ended up increasing exponentially the scope of the Great Depression. Oh, so he's part of how it was sort of a free for all with the stock market and sure, it's only gonna go up and you're only gonna make money. So his policies sort of drove some of that? Drove some oh. of that. He also, um, uh, some say, used his power to target individuals for prosecution and investigation. Ah. Um, in particular, these individuals who were his competitors while he was Secretary of Treasury. Well, and what's the use of having power if you can't abuse it to ruin your enemies? <laughs> well, exactly. And, and especially I mean... when you still have a stake in the company that they're competing against. So why in the world wouldn't you use this while you're still invested so that you can get the full benefit? Of oh, okay. So he didn't do that thing that you're supposed to do where you put your stuff in a trust and you... Well, at that time, that. many people didn't do that. Okay. Understand that really was something that I believe developed with Roosevelt. And Roosevelt coming in, we're going, no, 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 we're putting all our stuff in the trust because you had several... Um, big corruption scandals um, through from Harding and Hoover in particular. Well, the, the temptation, I admit, would be there even for one as virtuous as I am, which, <laughs> by the way, we note right from Christie's cackle is not true. Um, 
I would, I would abuse power terribly, which is why nobody should ever put me in a position of it. Um, so, so he uses, he uses the secretary of treasury to sort of trash his enemies. That cannot have gone well. Well, well it didn't. So, what people forget is you're not going to be in power forever unless you're Vladimir Putin. And so, at yeah, some I mean, point, it, your enemies are going to get a shot at you. Well, it, it's a combination here, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as Christie pointed out, not only did he target many of his enemies as Secretary of Treasury, but I mean, by the time we got to the Hoover administration and the stock market crashes, okay, mm -hmm. I mean, Hoover was not the only person within his administration, okay, that basically argued that the government should not intervene in the economy, yes. that the market would correct itself. Oh. And, and Andrew Mellon in particular, okay, was vehemently opposed Vehement. to the federal government spending money, okay, to, if you will, generate economic activity, mm -hmm. because that, that would go against, okay, the primary tenet of laissez-faire economics, which conservatives believed in, in the late 1800s through the early part of the 1900s. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so he was wrong with a big capital. Okay. So then you get the election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Roosevelt comes into office. Okay. And almost immediately, correct me if I'm wrong, Christy, almost immediately Roosevelt was just like, okay, not only were the policies bad, mm -hmm. but the way he used his office and the way he's conducted his own personal, private financial dealings were criminal. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets really controversial, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, again, things in American politics of today, in many situations, are not brand new, okay? No. You had an incoming, yeah, we had an incoming presidential administration, the Roosevelt administration, that went ahead and said, we're going to target people from the outgoing Republican presidential administration, okay, for criminal wrongdoing. And their big target was Andrew Mellon. Well, they had other targets as well. Oh, it sure. Just him. But Andrew Mellon was a particular one that they went after. Uh, and they went after uh, using uh, the DOJ and using for tax fraud. Okay, so, so yeah, because, how does that get him to us to giving us the National Art Gallery? So the criminal case against him, I believe, was him dodging his tax liability using his art collection. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't have to pay as much tax. All I've got is this art, and it's art is subjective. What's it worth? Art's worth so much. Okay. And again, remember what I described a few moments ago, okay? Mm -hmm. Mellon, like many patrons of the art, okay, mm -hmm. would collect, okay, uh, artwork mm -hmm. and then loan it to galleries. Mm -hmm. okay. And because of the way the tax code is written, okay, would be able to significantly reduce their federal tax liability, okay, because of the value of the art that they would loan. 
What do you so mean you, you're a casa billionaire and you only owe $36 in taxes? How oh, is well, that possible? Oh, because everything I own is loaned out for. I mean, part of the criminal indictment was Andrew Mellon actually went years without paying any income tax. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, if you write the tax system in a way that allows me a giant loophole, you should expect me to walk through it. That's why the tax code should be everybody pays 12%, end of story. And by the way, one line, one sentence, there's no drama. I know it's not progressive. I know it's terrible. I know it's, it would be an awful but, thing. But, but, but listeners also remember, he was the secretary of the treasury. <laughs> Yes, exactly. If someone has a, a hand in how tax policy ends up being implemented by the IRS, oh, let me think, who might that be? I, and I put to you people, what is the use of power if you cannot abuse it? Hello? <laughs> but Christy, I, I'm Christy, kidding. I we Christy, would hope that me. public servants would not do this. So he basically manipulated the, but, his position but, in multiple ways to benefit himself, both financially and in the sense of being able to stomp upon his enemies with great joy and fun. Mm-hmm. And okay, then, but, and then the Roosevelt was like, you know what? I'm Chrissy, feeling a little me, like you need to be published, punished for that. But Chrissy, correct me if I'm wrong. The Roosevelt administration was never able to bring a criminal indictment against him. No, it was, it was, um, uh, yeah, the, the grand jury voted against it. So they, they tried to indict him, but the indictment did not go through. So it was a no bill from uh, the grand jury. Okay. So, but there ended up being a civil case, correct? 14 month civil trial against him in Pittsburgh. 14 months. God, I would have hated to have gotten that legal bill. <laughs> well, I would hate to be on the jury for that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. No, like... no, no, no. This is a civil case. So they're probably just in front of the tax board. Oh, okay. Not. Well, okay, but we you have to feel some sympathy for those people. Oh, God, yes. Like, really? We got to go through another page of this? Because, I mean, I guess what they were doing was combing through the records to see what was legitimate and what was not legitimate. So all sorts of testimony as to, I, I would imagine, um, I didn't quite look this up, but you're gonna have testimony about the value of the art. Where was it hung? How, how much did you pay for it? How much? So the did reason he why give I, the, oh, sorry. Mia, the reason why I, I, I became familiar with the civil case is that the civil case was uh, 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 brought by the tax division of the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And it was brought by a little known attorney in that uh, department of, or that division of the Justice Department, Robert Jackson. Um, because I've, I've done a, a whole bunch of reading and research about an individual who ended up serving on the Supreme Court. Ah, right? so he's a... Yeah, because Robert Jackson before he began to work for the Department of Justice, okay, was a little known uh, attorney in upstate New York, okay? He was known to Roosevelt because they were both Democrats in the state of New York, and Mm -hmm. Robert Jackson was unusual. He was a Democrat in upstate New York, right? Mm 
which yeah which, which at that time and even today is somewhat unusual right mm -hmm. so fdr reaches out to jackson to reward him for all of his years of support i.e patronage mm -hmm. okay and jackson instead of taking a prominent position in the roosevelt administration says i want to go work in the tax division he goes to work in the tax division and the Roosevelt administration tries to get a criminal indictment against Mellon, but the grand jury, no bills, okay, mm -hmm. Andrew Mellon. Mm -hmm. And Robert Jackson said, but we can bring a civil case. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in the Texas civil- will get you every time. Yeah. Ask Al Capone, right? Like <laughs> the tax mess, like, dude, if they just paid their taxes, these hey, people Nina, could get away with- you about this in regards to Donald Trump, okay? Of all the stuff that he's been accused of doing- The thing that's gonna bring him down- Bring him down more than likely is gonna be, okay? Tax fraud. Taxes, right? Well, it's gonna hurt him the most because there's going to be money out of his pocket or out of somewhere. Yeah. Right, but I mean, the, like Capone murdered how many people and what they got him on was tax fraud? Like, you can literally get away with murder if you just do your taxes properly. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> or, spend the money, spend the money, go to H&R Block, do it, do it right, and then you can pretty much do whatever you want. Okay, so, let's be so very clear, listeners. The, let's be very clear, yeah, listeners. Yeah, no, I am not. Okay, Mia, myself, Christy are not advocating okay murder right okay right um i'm really not it was a joke yeah but nevertheless historically okay some of our biggest criminals have been brought down simply because they wanted to avoid paying their freaking taxes <laughs> yeah like dude what are you doing so uh, so it sounds to me like so with melon did he just say hey turns out i've got this art collection turns out you want my money how about we make us a trade here i'll give you my art collection and you leave me alone is that how that worked basically that was the deal that was uh, uh brokered by robert jackson um and mellon's attorneys okay um andrew mellon agreed okay um to pay a whole bunch in back taxes. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Mellon also agreed to uh, pay for the construction of the National Art Gallery and made permanent donations mm -hmm. of a significant part of his art collection. And by the way, it was a significant art collection. Yes. Andrew, he... Andrew Mellon had spent a whole bunch of his personal money buying art from the Russians, from the Hermitage. Following the uh, revolution, because the Bolsheviks needed money. The Soviets needed money. Hey, revolutions are expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I throw mine, I'm going to need a lot of money. I'm just saying. I'm going to have, I'm going to have like a, a donation drive beforehand. Uh, another political lesson from today's podcast episode. You need to have a donation drive before you need a you need a GoFundMe for your revolution because they are not inexpensive and clearly they will cost you your art collection. But but Christy, correct me if I'm wrong. According to President Roosevelt, okay, 
uh, until he died, okay? Uh, uh, the, the public voice was, uh, yeah, you can donate this, but we're still gonna prosecute you. Yeah. That, was, that was the public voice. Yeah, we'll take your art and we're gonna take your money and you're gonna build this for us. Yeah, but we're still gonna take, uh, we're still gonna prosecute you or, or we're still continue the civil case. So they found him guilty. Well, there was never in a verdict or an outcome. How is that possible? Well, they never went to a judge and said, we have an agreement, please issue a consent decree, okay? <laughs> so they just after 14 months were like, all right, see y'all. And they all went home? Well, well it, as far as Mellon was concerned, okay, the federal government never conclusively demonstrated that he violated the tax code. So this is one of those fine line things where when when you have to check the box that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime, you can you can check no. Well, it wasn't a crime. This is a civil case. Oh, yes. sorry. This is a civil case. So let's but that's be clear. Still a... He was not, he didn't do that. But also he ended up dying in 1937. Yes. Ah, okay. So that also, I think, ended up allowing Roosevelt to say, I've got this victory, you know, everything. And they still built. I mean, I think he died the day that they started construction on yes. the National Gallery, if that's not sad. But he also, to give Mellon credit, he didn't want it named after him, which God knows he could have considering he paid for its construction and donated the first permanent collection. He, he didn't want his name on it. He wanted it to be the National Gallery of Art. So it isn't like the Phillips collection that they donated all of their, which if you want to see that Renoir, uh, the luncheon of the boat party, it's actually in DC at the Phillips collection, which you can enter for free and see this beautiful painting, which I highly recommend. Um, but it's a, it's a private collection. So, and it's ah. named for him. Okay. And in his will. So okay. like many people, Mellon was layered. Oh yeah, because in his will, he, mm -hmm. he obligated his heirs to fully fund the construction of the gallery mm -hmm. and to turn over the pieces Art. of his collection that ah. he agreed to. Okay. They could not, they could not renege. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, in the end, he did the honorable thing. And, and Paul, his son, really continued on and played a, a key role in the development of the National Gallery of Art and getting a lot of art donated and bringing some incredible collections to that museum. Okay, so it's a story that ends well. I mean, it ends well for us as a nation because, a we, get nation, the national, because well. we get the national art together. For public corruption, how well it ends. Well, <laughs> okay, well, it's a little murkier on that side. I will, murkier grant, on that. I will <laughs> grant you that's a little murkier. Yeah, if you want wrongdoers, okay, put into prison, yeah, that didn't happen in this story, okay? On the other hand, okay, um, you actually had, okay, the federal government, you know, bring a robber baron, you know, to its yeah. heel, okay? Mm -hmm. And that hardly ever happened in the history of the United States, hardly mm -hmm. ever happened. Well, it hardly ever happens now that the super rich are brought to... Sure. to some sort of justice so 
there is justice and and the american people got something really cool out of it because mm-hmm. um because it's a it's right it's an awesome thing to visit and we should it strongly is. urge people to oh, do that the the architecture of it is incredible the tall ceiling it's beautiful it really is a beautiful edifice to go in uh and once once you're able to go back and and work in it i highly recommend you know go and you know take your computer or whatever and you can sit and work and it's a wonderful place so that's a good place to write your 14 page paper for your either criminal justice or political science professor (laughs) is what you're telling me nice plug for your for your your at your your papers there okay you said i'm gonna end with one last thing you said something about a spider in the garden is that your favorite sculpture piece no what's your favorite sculpture piece um there's a perspective piece that depending on where you're at in uh, the house uh the house changes its perspective however um and that's amazing now uh another piece that's new is the big typewriter eraser which I have not seen yet, which looks awesome. I want to go see that. Uh, that might be, you know, my new, but it, it, they do occasionally change outside. I love, I love big sculpture gardens. They're, they're wonderful. I mean, you really get up close to the art um, in the sculpture gardens, so. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for coming and talking to us about the National Art Gallery. Now, can I say one thing? I recommend everyone look around you about what's available and out there. Oh, For okay. example, the Prairie Village Museum in North Dakota uh, is open and you can go there and you can see they have an entire village that you can walk through. And it has a wonderful little museum there as well that shows you early life in North Dakota. It's only $8 and it's a great way to spend uh, the day. Uh, they don't seem to have any uh, requirements for time to things either. So might be a great way to spend a Saturday. Okay. So a plug for your local museum of coolness. Yes. Awesome. Uh, be, a, a, again, uh, you know, if you're planning trips, okay, uh, I, I always tell folks um, almost every major city in the United States has some sort of art gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get a chance, uh, particularly uh, many of your smaller cities, these smaller galleries, you know, tend to emphasize local artists or local history. Right. Um, so if you really want to learn about a place that you may not live, but you're just visiting, um, you could do a heck of a lot worse than visiting the local art gallery. Um, and let's be honest, many of us need to sometimes be visitors in our own hometown to find some really great information that we may not have been aware of. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, Christy, thank you very much. Uh, this has been uh, uh, highly uh, educational and also very entertaining. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, um, because uh, if nothing else, our listeners are once again reminded of uh, how Nia wants to go ahead um, and take over the world. Yep. I want all the power. <laughs> and now I have a new way to go about it. I just need to steal an art collection. Okay. And Thanks, not y'all. Your, and not Thank pay you. your taxes. And not pay my taxes. That's right. <laughs> y'all have a good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.